and welcome to Challenges That Change Us, the podcast where we talk to our guests about how their challenges have impacted them today and how they overcame them. Whether you are someone that feels like you are thriving right now, trudging through the mud or somewhere in between, this podcast is designed to give you practical advice, profound insight into your own experience and inspire you to embrace your life. My name is Ali Flynn, the co-founder and CEO of Tri Altitude Performance, and I will be your host. It's time to buckle up your seatbelts and let's get this ball rolling. Welcome back, everyone. This is our little surprise for this week. We're releasing this extra episode. It's the first time that we've released two episodes in the same week. Why, you ask? Because you guys are the absolute best. You have been so supportive and interactive. I just wanted to say a massive thank you to each and every one of you in the Challenges That Change Us community. Last month, we popped up a poll in our Facebook group around the types of interviews that you're wanting to see more of, and it came back pretty even on personal stories and experts. So I thought, what better way to say thank you than to release one of each this week? Also, this is my personal invite for any of you that aren't in our Facebook group challenges that change us. Please jump into that community. That's where all the information goes up, the extra little hacks, information sheets on our podcast topics, and so much more. We would love you to join us today. So this week, we have released an episode by Alan, the international negotiator, talking about the art of communication, and Suze Gregg, a dear, dear friend of mine and long-term client. In 1996, Suze was heading home for Christmas when the course of her life changed directions. Suze was found with her car smashed up against a tree and was rushed to the RPA hospital in Sydney. She was in an induced coma for three weeks and lost all of her muscle tone during that time to the point where she couldn't even hold her head up or stand unsupported. Suze suffered an acquired traumatic brain injury and the doctors told her family she would never walk cycle, work, or live independently. Suze couldn't communicate with her loved ones as the words were just not there, and she described it almost like being a baby again, learning for the first time. Even though we are talking about such a significant and horrifying event in Suze's life, we laugh so much throughout this interview, and that is just a sign of Suze's personality. For anyone that knows her, I'm sure you will agree with me, Suze is a ball of positivity and such a beautiful, caring, engaging and inspiring friend. She inspires me on a daily basis with her grit and her determination and her can-do attitude. Suze not only defies all odds, she has brought a whole community along for the ride. There isn't anything this woman can't do. You can hear throughout this interview how crucial Suze's friends and family were for her recovery. We talk about those moments in ICU when all you want to know is that there is someone out there that has made it through this, that there is that hope outside of the ICU department. And Suze mentions this is one of her driving factors for this conversation today to help others on their journey of recovery. If you are going through something like this right now, I want to let you know that you can do it. Some days it might feel like you want to give up that it's too hard, too relentless. But as Suze mentions, your only focus has to be on the one next step. You can do this and we are all 100% behind you, cheerleading you on. You and your family are not alone. The first five minutes of this interview is getting to know Suze and what she is up to now. And then we dive deep into her challenge and her experience. So let me introduce you to this fabulous superhuman Suze Gregg. Welcome, Suze. I am so excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to come on. Thanks, Ali. Look, really pleased to be here. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we had this conversation about whether we'll do the podcast or not. And for those that don't know, Suze actually trains at my gym and is a beautiful friend of mine. And you've heard me say this before, but I just really admire anyone that steps up to the plate and has the challenging, difficult, robust conversations that are real and raw for the purposes of the audience being able to take something away. So, Suze, I know we haven't even started yet, but I know even getting here today, it's a big deal, right? Just, just don't build up too much, Ali. I'm not a, uh, <laughs> I'm not a 
You don't want me to keep adding it in. I can keep going. No, I'm just going to tell them. I'm very genuine sorry. And, um, yeah, just my, I guess it's, yeah, my story of my experiences. Um, I'm certainly not a, you've had amazing, I've listened to a few of your podcasts and they're just incredible, amazing, extremely, um, high performing characters. So, uh, I'll just read my story and, and, and you'll, we'll, we'll go with that. Ah, uh, Suze, you are high performing, mate. Like when I see you out here on the floor, you are like an elite athlete. So I don't think we, you know, I think we can own that space there. But Suze, I really love to start the podcast with asking everyone what animal best describes them. And the reason I ask this is it just gives us a little bit of a quirky way of getting to know you because the audience haven't met you yet. So if you were going to use an animal to describe you, what animal would you use and why? In my dreams, Ali, I'd like to be an eagle soaring over the sky and countryside looking down upon the world and, and just um, observing everything that's going on in the world below. But in reality, there's the story of the hare and the tortoise. And I, I'm probably um, more resembling the tortoise. I will jolly well get there in the end. I'll enjoy the journey getting there. But I'm not going to be the hare and, and race some... Um, push forward and I don't even get there in the end and I get to the, my end goal but I certainly um, yeah, I probably enjoy the journey um, and go at my pace yeah. And the words I think about Suze when I think about you because I've known you, you've been training with us for nearly 10 years now I think of discipline and determined like there is nothing that you won't have a go at but you show up week in and week out, rain, hail or shine. Like Suze rides her bike down and in Armidale, it snows here and it's freezing for anyone that's not local or not in Australia. Like it gets freezing here. And Suze cycles down on the bike with her helmet on, parks it there, comes into Pilates or into the gym, you know, and I just every time, every time I'm like, man, I wish I had that discipline and determination. Like I love it. That grit is just phenomenal. I think it's a good way to warm up before you exercise too. You get, you get there because often I'm running late. I'm <laughs> you are definitely time. running late. Yes, <laughs> you're not going to be an animal that's on time. <laughs> now, Suze, I, before we get into your story, I'd really like just to get a bit of a kind of big picture on maybe your career to date. Like what has led you to where you are today? Okay. Well, so far my journey has been – I did a Bachelor of Science degree at UNE. I then did something that was just a burning, burning desire in my heart. And not a huge career um, move, but I, I went and worked, I faced myself in Sydney and I was doing some freelance photojournalism, working with, um, scientists, um, who are doing research on seals at Montague Island or with corals at Brandon Tops with, Reptiles in the Simpson Desert, and I would just literally, as doing other work at a bar to get my my income in, but really just driving, writing amazing stories and converting their research into layman terms. I then went to out into the Central West and worked with a cotton agronomist, um, and that's where I had a bit of a life changing incident, which I'll talk about further. Um, which did change. I was working with an agronomist. It did change my direction. I had to retrain, so I came back to uni and did a grad deferred, and I went out teaching in the Central West for a few years. And I've then been working at the university. Uh, I did go back into the cotton industry after that teaching stint, and then I've been working at the university, running educational programs for the last... 15 years and now I've just started a brand new five-year contract with the university doing different projects across the university. So the first project I've been tasked with is to learn how to write content for the web, how to edit websites and I'm going to update and sort of basically restructure the faculty uh, faculty web page and two school particular school pages. So it's a massive new undertaking and, and to be honest, it's, it's been one month since I've started this new role and it's, um, 
is a huge big focus for me and it's a learning curve that goes straight up into the air at the moment. It's always interesting when I interview my friends, I learn so much about them. So clearly I don't ask the right questions over coffee. Were you in the Central West, down, like down near Orange? I was in a tiny little town called Mendoran, which is near Dubbo. If you drive that way, you'll blink, it, blink and you'll miss Mendoran. It's a tiny, small population and it's got a school, a general store, a pub, and that's about it. And it was a great community. Well, shout out to everyone in Mandoran that's listening to this podcast. Do a thumbs up or a, or a high five in the uh, challenges that change us communities because I actually know three of our uni mates that came from out there. So I bet some of our audience today are from Mandoran. Yeah. All right, Suze, we've been talking around it. Let's go into the challenge. So your whole life changed on Christmas Eve. That's right. Christmas Eve in 1996 it was. At the time I was working with a cotton agronomist in Narrabri and I, my plan was, all I had on my agenda was finishing off my day of work, was driving home to where I was living in Narrabri, about to go and grab a shower and head home for Christmas and catch up and just was fasting to see family and friends over Christmas. Um, but that plan didn't evolve. I actually, instead, um, my car was found smashed up against a tree with a huge limb falling on top of it. When I saw a photo of the car afterwards, I just was so amazed that I actually got out of the car alive. I had suffered a traumatic, acquired traumatic brain injury and I was rushed to Royal Prince Alfred Hospital. I was placed into a medically induced coma for approximately just about three weeks and I was in RPA until... The, I think it was the 18th of January and I was then transferred to Ride Rehab where I was based until later in January and then and completely a rigorous, really rigorous um, schedule of rehab, physiotherapy, speech therapy. Essentially, I had had damage to the right side of my brain Therefore, my left side just didn't didn't function, had no functionality. Couldn't lift up my left leg and place it or balance on it. So I used to just have to drag my left leg. I still have some quirkiness going on with my left hand. I can't quite um, do the, the fine motor skills like the right. And I can't, still can't balance on my left leg. And I had lost, because I'd been uh, medically induced coma for so long, I'd lost all my muscle tone, so I couldn't, I didn't have any neck muscles, and I just couldn't hold my head up, I just couldn't, um, couldn't look at people for long enough. I was also placed onto a, um, a tilting bed, because I couldn't stand unsupported for longer than one second without fainting, so I had to, um, Basically, I had to learn to talk again. I had in my mind what I wanted to say, but I couldn't form the words. Like, I just couldn't articulate the words. So I, I tended to just um, talk like a baby. And basically, I had to relearn to walk, to talk, and to relive my life again. I was totally dependent on people. And I can remember that feeling of just needing to someone to help me go to the toilet, to have a shower, to do everything. And, and basically I was back at baby functionality. I really had to restart my living my life again. So it was on Easter um, in 1997 when I was released from the Tamworth Rehab Centre and all my neighbours from... Our family probably put up the big sign, welcome home, Sue's welcome home. So it was like an absolute um, beautiful returning journey. And, but it was suddenly just having to rebuild your whole life again. Everything. Career change. I had to learn how to maintain functionality and to, to keep um and you know, to learn to swim again for exercise and just, just, just learning everything again. So that, ours is perhaps, uh, yeah, definitely the greatest challenge I've faced in, in my lifetime. And I guess 
There's a lot that you learn through the processes. And I'm going to be asking you about all of those lessons, Suze, because I think there's a really special gold nuggets that can come out of situations like that, but it can't take away from how hard and challenging those moments were. Like there are beautiful lessons and I'm I'm looking forward to having that conversation as well. But before we get into that, Suze, I guess what I'm thinking about so many things, but one of them is, you know, what do you remember? Like, do you remember the accident? Yeah. No, look, I've got, I have no memory. I went Christmas shopping with my mother two weeks before and she asked if I remembered that and I had no memory at, at all from the two weeks prior to the accident till and after the accident um, I was in post-traumatic amnesia so I was really semi-conscious for a long time after waking up from a medically induced coma just semi-conscious not really aware of people around me not really able to remember the day clearly my mother kept a diary which was an amazing thing to do. And in that day, she wrote down the 10, you know, over 10 people that visited every day who go for, and, and uh, yeah, the support was in just incredible. And that's what really made me go, gosh, I'm just going to get out of here and back into my life again with these people because they really, really inspired me to get back. They're there with you. But in that diary, I started, I, I just read it before this workshop, and in that diary, I started to write in the journal, and I just was—I just didn't have noticed after reading it how unaware I was. I just didn't know what really was going on each day, and had no, no idea. And when you think back now, Suze, do you remember being in the hospital, or is it more that you remember once you got to the rehab? Like, do you remember times at the hospital? I'll tell you, I'm going to lighten it up a little bit, Ali, because there's two... <laughs> We're too deep. We're too deep. We need no, to lighten no, no. it. because <laughs> there's two distinct memories that I really, I'll never forget. And uh, at the time, I didn't have clear memory of them. That's more being told about these things, but I do, just, yeah. do, I'll never forget them. I had to have my the top of my head shaved because they had to operate to release the pressure on my brain. So, of course, they shaved the top of my head, but they kept the sides and the back to go really <laughs> Have you got photos? No, I think, luckily. But my brother, <laughs> him, my brother just said, Suze, Greg, we've got to tidy you up. And I had a drip. I was still on a drip, but he just – and I couldn't walk, so I was in a wheelchair, and he just – Push me, probably for about five kilometres to the nearest. Oh, I probably exaggerated that. But I don't know how far it was. It. No, we love a bit of exaggeration on this podcast, Suze. You've got full rights. Cool, thank you. <laughs> Push me to the nearest um, hairdresser and just said, could you give her a number one all over and just tidy her up a little bit? Because <laughs> I was looking like a real bogan. And then there's another distinct memory that I, I, I will never forget as well. I required having an ECG because to test for epilepsy because often when you have a traumatic brain injury, you can be susceptible to being an epileptic or suffering epilepsy. Fortunately, I wasn't, and I, the um, test cleared that. But to have the test, you had to be totally sleep-deprived for, I think it was 24 hours. And at that time, I was needing almost... 20 hours a day, so I really mm. needed to sleep most of the day and the night. Anyway, my dear father, who's just always got an ingenious solution to any challenge, said, let's go to the casino, Sue. So often, <laughs> I think that's not what I was expecting you to say, Sue. <laughs> Off to the casino, and for the first time I actually won money at the casino. Ever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always lost it at the Jolly Casino, but this time I was actually winning. <laughs> uh, and, um, yeah, so because when you have an ECG, you, they're measuring the activity in your brain while you're asleep, so you've got to be totally sleep-deprived, so you fall asleep when they do the test. But I was wide-eyed the whole time at that casino and got to the got to the appointment with the ECG. The doctor was an hour late, and I said, Jack, you better hurry up because I've been partying all night. I'm ready to sleep. <laughs> I can't and, believe they let you out of the hospital to go to the casino. 
Well, I was in rehab at that time and I think oh, I was picturing ICU, right? I was picturing. Yeah. And the reason I say this, and I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this on public radio or podcasts and international podcasts, but when I was in ICU, we used to go out for lunch. We were definitely not allowed to leave the hospital. That's one of the yeah. most beautiful memories yeah. I have from being in the hospital was yeah. when we used to sneak up the street. So I'm just picturing you in your like hospital gown and your dad sneaking <laughs> you out past the guards they weren't really guards but it felt like that right when you're in ICU and taking you to the casino (laughs) oh no look it was kind of a stage where I was in rehab sort of allowed out on excursions but that was a one incredible excursion that I'll never ever forget it was an absolutely tremendous yeah really really fun lovely way to go yeah. I wonder, Suze, whether your brain activity was like shooting off the roof from because you know sure a casino is quite it. like yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> I'm sure it was like fully ping ping well, ping. No, I'm sure it was fully engaging, like stimulating my brain to just perform even better than it could. So yeah, no, I'm sure it was great. But um, the other things is reading this diary. Things, little things, were just so. Jolly things that I just appreciate so much. You know, when you've been through something like this, you just life and just the little things in life. Like I remember I had my jaw wired because I broke my jaw and um, had my jaw wired so I could only drink these Ensure tins of milk, flavoured milk stuff. They're horrid, absolutely horrid, but that was the only thing I could eat. For so long, because and all my friends would come and we'd go out for lunch, and I'd be all wired up, and I'd just be looking at their lunches, going, "Oh, I can't wait till I'm you know, normal again." Have a hot chip, like, are you really eating hot chips and ice cream in front of me? <laughs> and I think that one thing about going through an exchange like this is. You just appreciate the very little things in life. Like you just appreciate yeah. the very special little things that you, you could eat and take away. Like And also, Suze, I, I think the mundane things, don't you think? Like an yeah. average day becomes magical because because of the simple stuff. Yeah. For me, the doctors told my parents and they were probably just trying to be realistic. They said, your daughter will never um, live a normal life. She will never work. She will never live independently. And she won't be able to, you know, fully function in her own way. And and because I can walk, I've hiked in, in the field land in New Zealand twice now. Because I can cycle, I've cycled the, um, you know, West helicopter mountain bike rides, and I cycle everywhere because I love it. And it's just the fact that I can do these simple things. I was in a wheelchair for so long. It's kind of like, wow, I'm just so grateful for for the life I have that wasn't looking like it was going to be that, that have those opportunities again yeah Suze it's the life you've created because I know you're saying it's the life you have but you didn't get this life from sitting around doing nothing you got this life from that in like that deep 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 drive within you that gets shit done like you got it because you worked hard every day at rehab and then when you're rehab when you got home you worked hard every day at home to kind of move into that next spot or that next chapter or try things that I'm sure the first time you got on a bike it wasn't easy. No, no, it was in Dubbo Zoo actually. <laughs> Here's another good story. <laughs> My brother had taken me out of, once I got out of the hospital to Dubbo Zoo for a lovely excursion but like, oh my gosh, I couldn't stay stay upright on a bicycle. It was just, I just kept falling all over everywhere. And I still do. I've got no balance on my You leg. definitely do. I've got <laughs> no balance on my left leg. So every time I put that left leg down to try and hold myself, it, it just goes. But one thing I have learned is if you don't do these things yourself, no one's jolly well going to do them for you. Mm-mm. You're going to want to get back on track and you want to improve yourself. It's you that's got to do it because no one's there going to do it for you. And you and you can't expect to get 
improvements if you if you just just tell you well don't do anything about it yeah I think Sue's listening to you talk. I know we've laughed a lot, but that's very typical of us is to have a good laugh. But we're talking about something very serious. And I guess I just want to honor the space for you. And I also think about the Michael Crosland episode. And I think both of you got told like that the quality of life isn't going to be there or the quantity of life. And, you know, you have both defied all odds. Like, Sue's, you said that they told you you would never work. I doubt they ever thought you'd be coming into a gym and training six days a week. You know, like I just, it blows my mind listening to your story and hearing what you went through. And I didn't know you then. I only know you now. And like, I'm hearing this story and I'm just thinking, oh my God, like how, how have you gotten to where you are today? And even talking about your career, you know, it just blows my mind. Look, I've been very lucky, Ali, but there's certainly um, there's always going to be challenges and there's always going to be um, hurdles that you can't get. For me, um, having a brain injury, just a simple task, probably just take a bit more effort and take a little bit um, more. And so I've just got to develop those deep grooves into my brain the right grooves and I don't have any capacity or any ability to have wasted approaches. You know, I've got to be very make sure that everything I do is just developing the right grooves in my brain to, to keep improving the in the right way because the brain um, is incredible the way it compensates but you've got to really help it compensate in the right way. You've got to train it. Yeah. You've got to train Absolutely. it. Like habits, everyone knows about habits. Yeah, but I think we know it, but do we all use it? You know, I talk about it with meditation, Suze. I was saying to someone the other day, if you could be given a little pill, like a performance drug, and it was a little blue pill and you took it and it made you sleep better, it made your memory improve, it made your awareness sharper, and it made you feel like you could approach the world with more life and more energy and more focus, would you take it? And most people would say yes. And I'm like, so why are we not meditating? If we know and the science and the research backs that it has such an improvement on our brain and I think Suze when you talk about habits that's what we're talking about here we know that habits can be formed and we know that we can all create habits around our lives that help us be at our best and feel like we are showing up for ourselves and others every day yet we don't do them so yeah I think we know it but we still don't do it yeah changing habits or making changes in lives is is takes more effort, doesn't it, than just doing the same old things that you do, yeah. Yes. And, Suze, one of the questions I guess I'm wondering about is when you think back through the rehab and the parts that you remember, what was the hardest part for you? I think being so dependent on others, just not being able to function and, and, and just not being able to live, uh, just feeling very... Um, Unnormal. I, I often I'd tell my friends, gosh, I just want to be normal again. I just want to be able to do these things and live a very normal life because for a long time I, I just couldn't walk properly. I couldn't, I couldn't eat properly because I had a broken jaw and all wired up. And when it was due to take those wires off, they weren't quite right. Then I got an infection in the jaw and all sorts of crazy things. So the biggest thing is, I guess I'll introduce an analogy, I'll get to it, but Life is doing the very simple tasks now, just take a little bit more effort because it's just not a natural process when you've had a brain injury. And I guess fatigue is um, another big thing too. You just need to, uh, with a brain injury, you just need to, to get your rest. You learn your limitations, you learn your strengths and you learn to work within your limitations and to and to try and enhance where your strengths are. But there was a, an analogy that um, one neurosurgeon gave to me, and I, th- I really remembered it. He said, you're planning a trip to Paris, but you land in Holland. Mm. You don't get uptight that you've landed in Holland. You don't, so, you know, you've been dreaming about these baguettes and the Eiffel Tower and the Louvre and really, and by the way, I have managed to get to Paris with, with a beautiful and I just, it's always been a dream. But if you're playing this trip to Paris, but you're playing lands in Holland, 
Yankee, I'll just distort and throw your hands in the air. You just go, I just don't want to be in Holland. You discover what Holland, living Holland's got to offer for you. So I guess my the way he related that to my life is I had big plans for, you know, I was going to do lots of you know, amazing big, big dreams and, 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 and aspirations, but they might all not be achievable, but you just need to curtail and enjoy what this life in Holland has to offer. I mean, yeah, things, um, you live a little differently, but you discover the beautiful things in this this new life in Holland. And I think that's such a beautiful analogy, Suze, around, you know, and I think sometimes that's where we talk about gratitude. It's like looking what you do have and not what you don't have. Um, Life takes so many different directions, doesn't it? For good, for bad. And perhaps if you went left instead of right, you would be on a different path. Everyone would be. And we have multiple moments, sliding door moments in our life that opportunities present themselves, adversity that get thrown at us. But that idea of, well, you know, you could have gone to France, but you're in Holland. What's here in Holland? What can you do here? And to be honest, I feel I've had a very fulfilling life after the, even after the accident. I, I, I've got incredible friends that know my journey, that have been there, the before and after, and and who who really celebrate the journey, and 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 because of um, things that I wasn't going to be able to do, such as walking again, such as cycling, or such as being active, because I can, I, I tell you all, it's an activity that's absolutely required in my lifestyle now. I, I really I cycle everywhere. I don't drive. I cycle everywhere, as you've mentioned, and I I um have hiked, done, been so fortunate to have done some beautiful hikes with beautiful friends who have understood and appreciated my challenges and and that this is a little bit more challenging for me, but hey, they've, they've been amazing. And, we've, um, and being on that journey with you, Suze, I'm sure it's opened their world up too, you know, like for them to see you complete a ride that maybe perhaps a few months ago was impossible. Yeah. Yeah, I hope yeah. so. Um, another thing another neurologist said to me was, I said, I'm just sleeping so much. Is that okay? He said, you know what? I know you well enough to know that you work hard, you play hard, you jolly well need to sleep hard. And I think that's a motto of my life too. Like I, yeah. I, I live a very full life. <laughs> you definitely do live a full life. I often wonder, Suze, about what your weekends look like because you are like, go, 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 go. And then I'm like, what are you doing on the weekend, Suze? And you're like, I'm doing a 60K ride or I'm going out with the girls or, you know, like I'm always like, when do you sleep? Like when do you get downtime? I know I can't function without sleep, but I do get, yeah, I certainly get my, my downtime. But I do live to the world and I do like to work hard, play hard and sleep hard, and I think that keeps me on my balance, on my kill, yeah. Hey, I hope you're enjoying this episode. If you are and you'd like to learn more or engage further with our podcast community, you can do this in our Facebook group. Just search for Challenges That Change Us on Facebook or look in the link in our show notes. In this group, we'll be sharing extra content and giving further background to our episodes. So I hope to see you there. But for now, let's get back to the episode. Suze, I wanted to ask in those hard days, in those moments that you wanted to give up, I'm sure we haven't spoken about them, but I'm sure they were there. You know, the days that you just... You just don't have the fight in you to keep pushing uphill. How did you get through those days? I think you've always got to remember that, and it's the way I feel about this work at the moment, new role I've got. I've got three massive web pages. I don't know yet how to write content for the web. I'm learning very quickly. It's about Rome wasn't built in a day, and it's just... A little bit by little bit, one foot in front of the other. I've I've lived moments, uh, several stages in my life where it's day by day, it's just, or it's minute by minute because you just go do a chunk at a time and not get overwhelmed by the the whole complexity of what's got to be achieved. And I think it's also, I'm very much, as you know, a people person, as I've learned through that dish workshop. I don't know if you know the impact that you have on other people in your world. When you walk into the gym, everyone smiles. 
Look, that's very kind of you to say, Ali. I think you're very, very um, kind to say that. I, I think you're you're launching the whole gym environment, absolutely. But I think um, through the accident, all these friends that used to come in 10 a day or more a day, it was just like, you are just giving me the biggest oomph to Lift. get better and get back on track and live a very normal life again because I want to be back in those in your lives and I'm not going to hang out in this gym being just, yeah, held back. And, and I think that's someone I just think that was one distinct drive factor definitely for me just wow, but so many beautiful, amazing people are in my life doing such amazing things. I'm going to get back there and, and be in that game too because I see, he, lying down in this bed is just not suiting me at the moment. <laughs> this outfit doesn't suit me today. I feel <laughs> like I'm – no, but it's true. And I think what you're talking about there, Suze, is purpose. That was your purpose that allowed you to have the drive to do the rehab and and people are important to you. And so having those people come to visit you – gave you more structure around your purpose. You were like, I need to get better because I need to be back with my people. It's funny. At the same time, I was semi-conscious and not really aware of who was around me, but I'm sure I could just tell you all sense the energy that was around me. I'm definite about that and could just sense the energy and the, the good vibes around the room. And, and when I could get out of the hospital when I was in rehab, you know, all my friends would take me to the IMAX movie centres or to the beach to fill the sand between my toes again. Things like that were just like all incredible experiences that just made me go, oh, there's a whole life out there outside this hospital. I'm getting back into it, yeah. It's almost like a newborn, right? Like it's like you're touching for the first time. I was absolutely at baby stage, absolutely. Yeah. I couldn't articulate talks I was, I was, and I was – Depend on everyone else to help me. Baby stage, what about neurologically though, Suze? Did you have an adult mind and like as in when you're saying you could not say the words, did you have the adult mind of knowing you couldn't do that? I had the thoughts but I couldn't articulate them. I couldn't. People just look at you and go, oh, my gosh, what is wrong with this? Yeah, okay. And I've still got a horrid speech impairment so you'll have to bear with me on that um, as well, everyone. But certainly um, – not being able to articulate what you were trying to say is a real, real, um, uh, really hard barrier to get back on the same page with people because, yeah, it really was quite challenging to just converse at that early stage. All your forms of communication were taken away, you know, your, your verbal, your physical, so you couldn't explain to people with your hands and your feet and your body, you know, so you, there was no way to communicate. Was your mind really active though? Like, would you have been aware that, you know, so much was happening around the hospital and there was other people in beds next to you and like, were you fully aware and you couldn't communicate or were you, did you just feel like you were completely drugged out and a bit zombie-like and found it just everything had slowed down in your world, in your mind? Look, to be honest, I think it was a bit of the latter and that's what the, that's what the doctors uh, or that's what the medical procedures is because essentially I was taken to RPA and and the the, med- the doctors just wanted to take all the stress off my brain so they put me into this medically induced coma where I can just sleep to let the brain recover. Then naturally the body's natural way to recover out of that med- medically induced coma is to be in a post-traumatic stress amnesia state where you are just not really aware of what's around you and you are just sleeping. I was in that state for, for quite some time and you just slowly sort of wake up out of that stage, I guess, but that post-traumatic amnesia stage is when you just, your body's just saying, look, I can't deal with a lot at the moment. You've just got to bear with me while I just go into a bit of semi-conscious or semi-awake stage, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, Suze, how do you find people respond to you now? Like, you've got your beautiful friends that you've talked about so much in this podcast, so I hope they all jump on and listen. No, my friends and family are my biggest assets. They're just incredible. Yeah. But what about other people? 
how do you find other people respond now as you walk in the world? Look, I guess in my workspace, if I've got to do a presentation, I've got a speech impediment, that can be a bit of a deterrent for some people. But people that know my story, I think, understand and, and really respect, you know, that I'm actually standing up on my two feet and really trying to have a, a good impact on, on the world around me. Look, I haven't had nasty um, experiences and I think people generally understand that if you're trying, doing your best, that's that's all you can do, right? You, you've just got to have the best go you can, yeah, and no, I don't think I have to adverse reactions. I'm sure there are people that just that I might not be aware of that are probably just saying, oh, that girl's a bit crazy, but I don't. We all think you're crazy, Suze, yeah, <laughs> on a different level. <laughs> crazy fun, crazy fun. <laughs> what about your reaction to it, Suze, when you think back? What's your reaction to your experience? Look, my first experience coming out of post-traumatic amnesia, coming out of a medically induced coma was heightened emotions because I had an injury to the right side of my brain but also a point which affects your emotions. So at the drop of the hat, I would burst into tears but then two seconds later I'd be laughing at something uncontrollably and just, uh, yeah. So I had really heightened emotions which is pretty tough for my family trying to just keep on the, keep me on an even keel and sort of trying to, try to understand how I was feeling. But um that was part of the um the brain injury. And mm. and brain injuries affect everybody in such different ways, right? Such different ways. Well the brain is so complex. Yes, like... exactly. And every injury is a bit different. And that's why I think when my parents were with me in the hospital, they just wanted to read a book or read a story to know that there was a good a good result at the end of a brain injury because every brain injury is so unique and, and, and not, you know, there's not those um, awareness of what could be the, the pathway that follows a, a brain injury because everyone is so, so different. My, I remember mum recalling, she said, I want you to write a story, Suze, because I just, when, I, when you're in hospital, all I wanted to read was just a good news I'm sorry, someone that had been through this experience, she said it just there wasn't anything to give me hope. More confidence that, yeah, this is going to be okay in the end. Yeah, yeah. Well, Suze, I hope that everyone listening here today takes that on board is that if you know someone that's had a brain injury or you know someone that's experiencing a friend or family or loved one that that might be in the hospital, maybe this is the podcast that they could listen to because so far we're just hearing all this incredible stuff that you're doing. I mean, we have discussed that it took hard work and discipline and there were probably more hard days than there were good days initially, but what you're doing now just blows my mind. You're very kind, Ali. No, you're incredible. I think it's not what happens to you, but it's how you react to those situations, isn't it? It's about how you respond to certain circumstances, and that's what's more important than what you've experienced, I think. Yeah. You can get over anything as long as you just have the right attitude and respond to it in the right way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and have hope that there's there is an option out there or there is a way, and you'll find it. You may not know what it looks like right now, or it might take a different direction to what you think it's going to take. But you know that's okay too. Like you can t- just take the right next move for you, or just take one step, one action step. You don't have to know the next ten steps that lay out in front of you. I think you said it earlier about that. What the neurologist said to you, and I was thinking about that saying, you know, um, how do you eat an elephant? one bite at a time. And exactly. I mentioned that the other day and someone said they'd never heard that. And I was like, oh, I think of that all the time. If you just I take one step. It's my, it's my go-to. Yeah. yeah. Rome wasn't built in a day and an elephant can't be eaten in a day. You've just got to do chunk at a time and just mm-hmm. have your vision for the big, the big city of Rome, but build it a chunk at a time. And you can't possibly be in the same place. If you take one step every single day or do that 1% every single day, you can't possibly be where you are today. 
in two or three weeks' time. You will be moving and you will be getting momentum. Absolutely, yeah. So, Suze, what was it that made you come on this podcast? Like what is the message that you want to share with our audience here today? Look, I guess um, for me the process I've been through has been a huge growing experience and at the time I just didn't think there was a, a, a way forward. I didn't think there was – it just all seemed quite overwhelming and like a big – I was, you know, trying to hold up a blanket, a big heavy blanket to just forge forward. I think the most important thing is that you just do forge forward in, in, in whatever, whatever challenges that you've got. That you've just got to put one foot in front of the other and um, keep moving forward because um, what does seem overwhelming a long time in the future, it's nothing compared to... Yeah, you step off it onto the next rung of the ladder and, and forge keep climbing up, I guess. And Suze, do you still have sad days? Uh, of course, I think everyone has sad days. Uh, I hope they do. <laughs> <laughs> I do. <laughs> I do. No, but do you still have sad days about the accident or do you still grieve for the person that you were? I think, no, look, to be honest, I'm quite content with um, how I've worked through from the accident, but I think there's times when you just go, at the moment I've um, had a big injury to my left hip and it has taken me back to not being able to walk properly again because of the left side isn't as strong and I guess that scared the pants off me too because I've just thought, gosh, don't tell me I'm back to where I was 20 odd years ago. But at the same time, I think it's all about just those screws in your brain just doing the best you can not allowing time to develop other grooves that you don't need but just allowing those deep grooves the right grooves in your brain to develop and that's that's my um my go-to when I just go how do I forge forward well I've just got to do it the right way and I've got to develop those right grooves yeah and spend your energy on the things that are going to matter to you we spend a lot of wasted energy on on things that aren't important to us that we don't consider important, you know. So try and spend your energy that you have in a day. I think about – I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast. I may have, but – and I also don't know where I got it from. So <laughs> everyone bear with me. The teaspoon analogy. So if you get 14 teaspoons for a day, you know, choose wisely – Every time you pick up a teaspoon, choose wisely. Is this something that you want to have in your life? Does it align with your values and your purpose and, you know, what you're trying to achieve? If, if people are important to you, are you sitting in that space or are you forgetting to look at the people that mean the most to you? So if you only had 14 teaspoons, how would you spend each and every teaspoon? It's the same idea. It's the same sort of concept, exactly the same concept. But I've read you've got a bank balance in minutes of every day. The bank balance in your normal bank account will keep growing. But this analogy is you've got that number of minutes in every day. You don't get them back at the end of the day and you don't you don't get interest on what you've got left over. You don't you don't get to grow what's in you. you've got to just use every single second, every minute of every day. And for me, uh, it just reinforces that time because it takes me longer to probably to do simple things, especially at the moment when I'm trying to learn all this new stuff. It just takes longer than it should. So it's very important that, that every second we use is just used so so carefully and, and so appropriately. Yeah. And we all get the same amount of time. Mm. Every person listening to this podcast, you and I, Suze, we all get the same amount of time. It's how we choose to use it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so, Suze, I love to finish the podcast. It's my favourite question. Go, go, go. Who in your world or what in your world truly makes you belly laugh? And this is going to be good because you laugh all the time. Okay. okay. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> great, great friends and family make me belly laugh more, more than I thought that they that could be possible. They're special, special people. But I, to be honest, the person that makes me belly laugh the most is myself when I do stupid donkey things. Like I just I do, <laughs> I do tend to go, oh, dear, not again. I laugh at myself, I think, more than anyone else. And I'm quite okay with that. I'm quite happy to have a good giggle at myself every now and then because, uh, by golly, my gosh, I, I crack myself up. <laughs> Please, you crack me up as well. 
No, we can be serious. I know you are. <laughs> I think it's good to be able to laugh at yourself, isn't it? How's I think you got it? Because it certainly makes lightens up my day quite regularly. Yeah. yeah, we actually have just started um, for anyone out there that needs to get a few more laughs in their day because I do. I'm quite serious. I know I laugh a lot on the podcast, but by nature, I'm quite serious. And um, I've got a group of girls that we have to every 24 hours, there has to be some sort of post or a saying or a vi- video clip or something. It's just about laughing. So it's called laugh out loud and you have to post in it. And every time I see a post come up, because I'm not funny by nature. So I find it really hard to find a, um, what do you call it? The actual posts, like where, where do people go to get this? But every time I open my phone and there's one of those on there, I laugh so loud that people around me look at me weird. And I think, but that is what I want. That is how I want to live my life. You know what? That's a really important thing to have in your life. That good belly laugh regularly. I think it just does wonders for your health. It really does. Yeah. Suze, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. And I love that we did have so much laughter throughout this. I think sometimes when we're talking about our challenges, you know, they are so personal and a lot of the stories come with shame and I don't think people realize that, you know, even though we do a lot of work around it, there's still just that it's your deepest, darkest, rawest moments in life that we're talking about. And so just thank you for coming on and thank you for standing up and telling your story for other people to listen. And hopefully I'm hoping people are going to be absolutely inspired by hearing your story. I know you inspire me every single day, Suze, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Ali, an honour to be on your podcast. Thank you for having me. And I, I just, um, you know, I appreciate your sharing the good news, Ali. You do a good, tremendous job. I'm really happy to share my story. I think this will be the interview that goes on record that we laugh the most. <laughs> As I said in the introduction, though, that is a direct result of the amazing woman that Suze is and how she approaches everyday life. How good was that analogy that she talks about where the doctor told her you can be on your way to France or Paris, but you get dropped in Holland and how important it is to explore all avenues of the country the plane drops you off at, even if it isn't where you thought you were going. I invite you all to join our Facebook group, Challenges That Change Us, and pop your feedback on the interview in there. Susan and I both see it when you pop it up. So thank you, Suze, for being brave enough to share your story with others. You're an absolute champion and my life is richer because you're a part of it. So thank you, everyone, and I will see you all next week. Thank you, everyone, for listening and taking the time out of your day. I believe we can learn so much from connecting with other people's experiences and stories. I hope you've gained some strategies and insight from today's episode. You can gain more by joining our Facebook group, Challenges That Change Us, or next week we will return with another episode.